1: a college professor turned globe-trotting EQ entrepreneur. His mission? Each week, Dan joins prominent authors in decoding how emotions drive outcomes and make people tick. Now, on to the show.
0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the 116th episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is futsal. The Thinking Players Game. I'm joined by Jamie Fahill. He is the author of Futsal, the indoor game that is revolutionizing world soccer. The publisher is Melville House. Jamie is a Guardian journalist with over 20 years of experience on several national newspapers. He's been consumed by football, what? we americans would call soccer since childhood same is true of futsal he's played the game semi-professionally and been a coach he's a guardians primary futsal reporter and has a former coach mentor role at the english fa welcome to the show jamie thank you very much Dan. thanks for having me on i'm looking forward to it especially as a former football soccer player myself so uh, give us a brief overview of the book what's it about so the book is uh, is 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 about futsal, as
1: you say, which is the the um, the FIFA-sanctioned version of Fiberside football. It's played by 60 million people, an estimated 60 million people around the globe. And the book tries to delve into the background, the backstory about futsal, um, which grew up in the 1930s in South America, and um, and is responsible for forming the forming the skill set of the best football players we've ever seen, but it's also a game in its own right. And I managed to blend my own personal story from growing up in the 1970s and 80s in Liverpool, a city consumed by, uh, by football. And um, I blend my, my backstory and my growing awareness of futsal um, through the growth of the game and try to tell the story of the game uh, by speaking to various luminaries in both futsal and futsal from around the globe.
0: Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with geography a little bit as my my category because you mentioned Liverpool and and South America, and I want to go there. So, um, I have to ask you, I mean, I I know that both Lennon and McCartney, famous Liverpoolians, were in fact uh, at least partially Irish in ancestry. Uh just how Irish is Liverpool? How rough has Liverpool sometimes been? And how does this all inform that wonderful player Wayne Rooney? So yeah,
1: no, in in the book, I um. Uh, I should caveat that Wayne Rooney never played futsal, but i describe uh, I, I feature a chapter on wayne Rooney um, and um, basically I talk about his growth as a player who was described by David Moyes, the former everton and manchester Man- Man- Manchester United manager as the last of the true street footballers and Liverpool is a city formed it 's on the edge it 's a city that 's had huge social problems in the 1970s and 80s when I was growing up. And essentially, uh, football was everything in those days. It was a a parallel universe to the economic and social decay that was um, played out on the streets. And everybody, including me, grew up playing football morning, noon and night. And it's produced some of the world's best players over generations. Um, And obviously, the two football teams, Everton and Liverpool, um, combined have the most uh, Premier League and old First Division titles of any other English city. Um, yes, the Irishness. It was formed out of the famine back in the same. But the Irishness of Liverpool was formed out of the famine back in the mid 19th century. <laughs> Liverpool became the unofficial capital of Ireland, and most of the people who ended up in the U.S. coming from Ireland during the famine era went through Liverpool. It was, it was the first port of call. So yes, it's steeped in Irishness, and it's very much the most un-English English city. Because of the Celtic nature of the of, of, of the place, um, and, and and that's uh, that's quite that's shown in in the way that people are, their attitudes, their socio-economic attitudes and approach.
0: Well, I, I uh, I've always loved the Irish. They're they're very warm and interesting people, and some of my famous favorite writers from Samuel Beckett on are Irishmen. So, um, all good stuff. Um, do, do you think there's a correlation between, as you said, this this parallel universe, given all the economic deprivations uh, that, uh, just as we have in the U.S., you know, so many of our great athletes are African Americans who come sometimes come from more impoverished backgrounds. You think that's a, a good deal of the impetus at times uh, to find something that's enjoyable and you can excel at despite dire circumstances?
1: Oh yeah, I mean it, it clearly, I mean there are push and pull factors in this in this um, this cliche of poverty leading to sporting excellence, but it's a cliche because it's true. The, the pull factor being obviously it's a way out, it's a way to it's a way to yeah. to, to not only um, economic riches but a way to to self-respect and to having a role and a goal in life um but uh, but the push factors are in that environment often and I, I make this clear in my book because in 1970s and 80s yes We had no money, certainly all the people in my street. I grew up in uh, just a stone's throw from Everton and Liverpool's football grounds right in the heart of Liverpool, um, North Liverpool, and nobody seemed to have any money. But the the flip side of that is that we didn't quite realise just how wealthy we were in terms of the the opportunities to play and practice. We were there, we had, and and look how society has changed over the past uh, three or four decades. Back in the 70s and 80s, there were no cars on the streets, this, this, the the public spaces were there. They hadn't been flogged off by cash-strapped local councils, desperate to just earn some money from property developers. Um, we had the place to play. We had the we had the opportunity to play. We didn't realise how rich we were. And, um, and obviously, societies all around the world have changed a lot since then. And um, and the 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 econ- the, the, uh, the health benefits or the health consequences of that are, are alive and well with the obesity epidemic, and uh, and all manner of other. Um, or the social ills that come from people not getting out and just playing. The power of play is massive.
0: Yeah, no, no, I, I absolutely agree. I'm I'm an avid sports person myself and uh, would like to stay as far from obesity as I can manage <laughs> uh, this, despite all the junk food mm-hmm. floating around in the society, of which I must say having shopped in English stores like Budgeon, for instance, you are a superpower when it comes to junk food. Oh, God, yeah. Um <laughs> so, so speaking with staying with this uh, deprivation thing, I'm really struck by the fact that the sport started in 1930, a year after the Great Depression, uh, Wall Street crash and in Uruguay of all places. So I think a lot of people would wonder why Uruguay and, and why then Although I think I've at least partially answered the why then question. Yeah, well, I mean again, uh, go back to economics, supply and demand, purely it's pure and
1: simple. Um Uruguay in the late nineteen twenties, there was a there was a massive influx, another influx of European immigrants from Spain, France, Italy particularly, and um and so there was a massive groundswell of people there willing and wanting to play soccer. Um and on top of that you had as you say the Wall Street crash um, caused a massive um, clamour for, for, as well as the, all the people who come in, people wanted to spend their time doing stuff. And I don't know whether you know, when well, you, you've read the book, you will do, but two things that surprised me about Uruguay in the time were the fact that privately owned um, spaces were hugely prominent and therefore there was no public space to play. And there was an awful lot of rainfall in Uruguay. So the combined impact of these two things so the the demand to play and the lack of supply of pitchers meant that an Argentinian professor of PE, um, Juan Carlos Cariani, he struck upon a, a game, an indoor game, based on football, handball, water polo and basketball. And um, and he, he invented this game indoors and got all these crowds of young players who all wanting to play soccer. He got them indoors and played and, and invented this sport that he thought would civilise the 11-a-side game and um and and this was this was music to the ears of of the, the all these millions of people who wanted to play another sport because uruguay
0: sure well i've only spent one day in uruguay but it, it rained the entire day i must say yeah sure, sure. Um... uruguay
1: won the football world cup in 1930 and having won the um the olympic gold medal in in men's football the previous two olympics as well so uruguay was the place to play football
0: yeah, no, they were definitely a powerhouse. I have a good friend who's from Uruguay, and he's he's very proud of all those Olympic victories and the World Cup and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, so the the game itself, uh, five players aside, you mentioned some of the the influences. Uh, you know, water polo, basketball, handball could even go on to say ice hockey. Yeah. Um. You know, being a, a basketball fan, I I know sometimes people compare it to almost like a, a jazz combo because there's a lot of improv. I was, improvisation going on a lot of just you know intimate camaraderie in terms of how you're going to take roles and be fluid within them um do you see any one of those sports kind of standing out more than another in terms of forming the mentality or being a co-equal I, I would say the sensibility yeah,
1: I would say um Um, soccer, football and basketball equally and this is the thing that is often misunderstood, I mean people see it as a shrunken version of football but it's so much more than that because it has hugely obvious elements of basketball um, the, the the most obvious ones are the stopping clock the size of the court um it's it, it, it's it's played somewhere between a basketball court and a handball size court so 28 by 15 meters basketball size or or 40 by 20 handball but generally the FIfa um FIFA standard is 40 by 20 but it's got the feel and the intensity of basketball it's the universality of players within the team five players but obviously you have a goalkeeper who tends to stay in but there's a fly keeper rule in futsal where the goalkeeper comes out. As long as they're in the opposition half, they can touch it as much as they want. There are limitations on the goalkeeper for four seconds in their own half, but that's a, diff- that's a diff- slightly different rule. But Basically, everyone has to do everything, so you all attack and defend together. You have specialisms within it, but that's totally different from 11-a-side football, 11-a-side soccer, where you do have discrete positions. You have some players you can do lots of things, like the centre midfielder that we spoke about before we came on air.
0: Uh, and yeah, th- w- w- one of the statistics that really struck me from the book was, if I if I read it correctly, that comparably speaking, given the shrunken size, it's as if you had thirty seven players aside, and you're operating in this 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 little teacup of space.
1: Uh, entirely right. Yeah, thirty seven aside, it's 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 seen as the laboratory of improvis- improvisation in Brazil. Um, that was what it was it was christened by um a professor of um, of soccer at sao paulo university and 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 the reason is this this potently uh, this potently um, beneficial cocktail of constraints within the game of, ta- of time and space. I'm talking about. So you're talking about the lines. The fact that it's lines means that you can't just crash it against the wall like you can in indoor soccer, and the game goes on. Yep. You have to have the ability to keep it on the court. Um, the surface is really, really slick, so the ball fizzes along the surface. It's like an ice hockey puck. You know, you don't get the, you don't pass it into space in futsal You know, it has to go to, it has to go to someone's feet, and they instant control with their soul. Because you're always marked, you're always under pressure, and you, and, and the biggest the biggest um, challenge in futsal is escaping pressure and creating that little sliver of time and space for you to for you to um, to exploit. Um, and that's why it is I do describe it as a thinking player's game. It's a game that's that's played, after, you know, the the, the the thought and action have to almost be simultaneous.
0: Yeah, no, I've I played indoor soccer, but I remember at one point I was trying out for a team in San Diego, and there were far too many of us trying out. So we, the uh, coaches threw us out on the field with about twenty aside, yeah. And uh, it was really a, a radical transformation. You had no room in which to dribble. You had to, you know, make that quick death pass, and uh, there was just no space on the field essentially. Um, so let, let's go with a thinking players game. So I mean, it seems to me that it's thinking but isn't it really almost like honed instincts and and flow because the the spontaneity the the quick decision making uh, it's thinking but not the ponderous sort no exactly
1: well this is i mean uh, without going to you know l- learning methodology on you the, um, the if we talk about the hierarchy of learning you know going from going from the first stage of benign and the untroubled world of unconscious competence incompetence And reaching through through there and going all the way to conscious incompetence when you discover how much you don't know, and then conscious competence, and eventually shangri of unconscious competence. This, in a nutshell, is what futsal involves. The training on the small space means that the perception-action coupling has to go hand-in-hand straight away. And, And when I've spoken to the best futsal players in the world, they've actually been really clear that this is the difference between futsal and, say, soccer or football. There's no time to, to it has to be instinctive. Everything has to be instinctive, and that obviously that that um, tells you that when you're playing the game, when you're training the game, when you're coaching kids to learn the game, then you have to make it game realistic to get them to have these have 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 the uh, the practice and the repetition to make these decisions in an instant. That's crucial, and that's why it's such a wonderful game because.
0: Yeah, no, it, I mean, I really enjoyed the the indoor soccer that I played for some of the reason to you indicate about futsal. And I can certainly see how futsal is a wonderful laboratory to develop your skills if you keep playing the sport itself in its own right, and even if you transfer that over into soccer. But it strikes me that soccer, or what you would know as football, that some players might not, uh, if they came to that first and then came to futsal, they might not... Uh, adjust as well that had to make a lot of adjustments to be as effective that's totally
1: right in fact when i was in um i went to portugal to interview the best player in the world a guy called ricardinho who's the best player in the world for six consecutive years he's um he's he's on the wane now he um his team portugal they won the euros retained the euros um earlier this year and won the world cup for the first time last year in futsal and i um i spoke to him and um and he he told me quite simply that he was the best in the world because he was the best at transferring messages from his brain to his foot with 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 the with the with the um, with the most ease, and and it, it's so true, it's it, it's exactly right. And the, the the difference in foot in in Portugal and countries like that is that it's in the that the their the culture is steeped with with futsal and so the kids are playing it more and it becomes part of their nature it's how they grew up playing the game that same in spain that is their childhood game uh and so the, they're getting all this repetition of practice um from the off
0: well the, yeah the opportunity to pull together enough players for that as opposed to a, a full-fledged yep. football game and uh finding the space to do it you know and it's just it's such a fast-moving sport you can you can see the attraction immediately um, little wonder so as a coach i must say i mean I, another statistic that struck me from the book besides that density of 37 aside was uh instances where a coach may make in, in you know 2 20 minute halves may make as many as 80 substitutions in a match My god that's a lot of work for a coach it is and this
1: is this is the, the, the there are several i would call them hidden returns hidden benefits of futsal and um, that that you, your average Football or soccer fan who may have heard of futsal, but doesn't doesn't quite appreciate the nuances of it. They may they may have heard about certain things, but one of the big um, hidden returns is the the skill development of a coach. You're absolutely right. the 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 the, the pressure on a coach is huge, just for the substitutions. Organising, um, I mean, in futsal, you you will have a, if a squad of fourteen, you will have a coach will have maybe two or three discrete fours who they will have on the court at particular times. Every one of those players will have, um, they'll have, uh, um, they'll have targets about how long they're going to be on the court, and they'll have a threshold with where, where the coaching staff will know if they get to 2 or 3 minutes they know they're going to go over a cliff and they'll drag them off and all knowing all, when to make these substitutions for individuals and little discrete groups of four is a, is 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 an amazing um, driver of a coach's ability to act in the moment and there's a guy called Mike Scubala actually who just yesterday was confirmed to he was the former England futsal coach who I interviewed in the book and um, he uh, he was just announced yesterday as um, the under twenty ones manager at Leeds United, who are now coached by, of course, Jesse Marsh, the US coach, and and that's a massive step for a futsal coach to become a, a, the the in, in in effect the Premier League's uh, a Premier League clubs. Um, development coach for their for their Premier League players and he he's written a piece on the coach's Vo- voice website a couple of years ago and he describes Futsal as the pressure cooker and says it's just honed his coaching ability so much. Yeah, that's one of the massive hidden returns. There are more on the game itself for player development.
0: Yeah, 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 no, it, it, that does strike me as a coach. Just a, a fascinating pressure cooker situation. I had done some work for uh, professional uh, NBA basketball teams, giving advice on, based on my psychology background, which kind of teammates I thought would be the best package, and in which situations, uh, you know, in the game whether they were ahead, behind, trying to claw their way back into a match, you know, those sorts of things. As a coach yourself, and as a coach mentor previously. Um, did you have any kind of strategies you thought were most effective in terms of how you deployed the substitutions?
1: Yeah, well, I, I've coached mostly in youth coaching. At the moment, I'm coaching an adult futsal team with the ages from 16 to my age. I'm 50, so I'm still trying to play. Um, but, um, but, But the most effective way and the one that I often encourage – coaches, football coaches who were trying out futsal and more uh, established futsal coaches. The one thing that I would often get them to do is to try and think about the number of players. Obviously if you've got 12 players, then you all go to play in the game. But if you had say nine or or, or eight or ten, I would try and have discrete fours. And what I used to do with mine, and this was really effective again talking about the psychological effects of uh, players learning the game and self-motivation and learning about the tactics as tactics are massive input. So I would often um, devolve the the, the 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 ownership to the players that have been two, two discrete fours and say a goalkeeper and I would devolve to them the point at which they just change. And sometimes they wanted to have it organized beforehand. So they change a half time through the a half way through a half, or they'd react on the game. And I would devolve that and obviously be there to talk to them. And I think that's huge. That was huge for their development of the understanding of the game, what they're trying to do and how they're trying to do it. But also it gave them ownership. So when they're on the court, and this is the massive difference between futsal and f- football, um, this an easy, a simple win in futsal is to allow the players to organize themselves because all too often in English football and youth football particularly grassroots the coach tries to play like he's playing the playstation try, trying to play FIFA he tries to organize and arrange I mean you can't do it in futsal. So that was always an easy win for me to try and get coaches to step away do the organizing and let the players take on responsibility and ownership and I've, I've found that fast tracks their development facts fast tracks their understanding of game of, of the game
0: Yeah, no, it it strikes me by comparison, almost like it's more entrepreneurial and you had to have self-ownership out there in the field and the flexibility as opposed to a large bulky corporate structure. Totally. Where everything gets imposed from the top down. So in the book, you mentioned a number of different formations that are possible. Would uh, self ownership of say, you know, a uh, uh, discrete four that you put out there, might they even change among themselves just quickly, intuitively, by design, whatever? Uh, different formations, different points in the game, just sensing what's working, not working. I, I imagine so. Yes,
1: totally. And, and I think the most simple um, example of that. Um, we used to have and I still do it with my adult team now and and I think I talk about it in the book and, and and I described it as fire and ice and so basically if if depending on the state of the game if we're losing or or we sense the opposition are, are there to be there to be attacked a fire would be a high press you know a full court press in basketball parlance and and sure. and, and then we go for it but that's up to them to choose and they'll say it so once obviously they can get a trigger from the first player who presses and then everyone else reacts but the, the, the added cue of someone shouting fire and then they know they're pressing until that next phase of play is over and then if we win the ball back then it could be it could be a shout of ice just to cool calm and just keep the ball likewise out of possession ice could be just do- dropping deep for a zonal defense. So yeah the, those, those triggers those keywords um, again they just give the kids uh, another thing another another tool in their toolbox to to actually manage the game.
0: And do and different players just have different uh, capabilities and styles that, you know, I'm um, sticking with formations a bit, you know, 2-2, two, two, a, a Y formation, just certain ones that just work better. I, I'm trying to think back to my basketball days where, especially in pickup games, you supposedly had positions, but God, you'd never be able to tell from the way you played the game
1: no that's right i mean the the most uh, the most um, popular and um, uh, the most popular formation in futsal these days is called 40 and this i write about it in the book this has links to links to the false nine in soccer and roberto martinez who wrote a foreword for the book and i also interviewed for a chapter on on hit, the influence of futsal on his coach development it, both growing up in spain and as the belgian national team manager now the 40 has huge it has, a hu- has a huge has a huge Impact on on um, on him as a fo- fo- football coach, um, but it also it also does the thing that I think futsal does wonderfully uh, to distinguish from football, and one of the massive drivers of of um, of the game sense that players learn when they play. It's because basically in a 4-0 you don't have a pivot. Uh, the striker in Futsal is called a pivot, which you would do in a yeah. conventional 3-1. So everyone has to just come, keep coming back, and you can be behind the ball, ahead of the ball, but you're looking to drag the opposition onto one line and exploit space in behind. And that that just means that every player understands that they they can't just be the one who goes sits goes and sits and waits for the ball. They have to keep moving and and find the, and create two player combinations to try and get forward. Equally. That then imposes on the players. uh, That asks the players a question: Okay, if we're doing this in possession, can we do this out of possession as well? Because obviously, massively important that in a player in a a team of five players, that when you're out of possession, one player isn't resting because you're twenty percent of your players are out for the game. Then, Um, and that's what the mass substitutions are for. You know, again, which is another. That's a great thing about. Um, sowing the sowing seeds of responsibility in players minds that they know if they're not if they're not running or not moving if they're not taking part in the game because they're tired they come off and you have to get them to, to the stage where they're volunteering to come off because they know they' they're not helping the team
0: yeah, no, that again makes me think of the entrepreneurial model because in a small company there there's no breathing space and everyone's got to sure. throw themselves at it. Yeah. Because in in a big company, you know, yeah, you can sit back quite possibly. There's a lot of other bodies around. Um, is there anything before we run out of time here? Is there any uh, last points you want to make about the the sport that you obviously love passionately that we haven't had an opportunity for? Well, I mean,
1: just the 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 the, the um. The aspect that I want to try and get across in the uh, in 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 the book about particular to the u s is the fact that the u s is absolutely tailor made for futsal to become the game of the, the 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 urban game to rival basketball in my opinion because you have all you you you're the most successful um court sport nation in in the world you have the structures in place I spoke to um anson dorrance who is the famous um um, UNC um, women's soccer coach and the coach who led the U.S. women's team to their first World Cup in 1991. And he is a huge advocate of the game and feels it's it's, it's a, it could be a game changer for the type of player that the U.S. creates in the 11-a-side game, as well as providing an opportunity for, for people to play. But you have the structures in place from the elementary schools right up to the college system. Um, you have the gym space. You have the gym space. You just need to get get in there and start playing the game. And obviously, the biggest thing, the biggest difference right? I haven't mentioned about futsal and football is the ball, of course, and that's one of the big uh, demarcation points. The ball is slightly smaller and it's the same weight as a size five football, but it doesn't bounce as much because it's got foam in it. And that just that that's being credited with probably the biggest difference between futsal and football in terms of skill creation, because the ball the ball um, stays on the floor. And it has to be controlled in a certain way. Soul control is a massive transfer of skill from futsal to football. Topo, because the ball moves quickly upon the first 75% of its impact, it moves quicker than a soccer ball. And um, so, yeah, the US is tailor made to, um, to, to um, reap the benefits of futsal as a sport to develop footballers.
0: Well, as a long-suffering uh, U.S. soccer fan, um, <laughs> if, if, it can, if it can empower an improvement, that would be that would be fabulous news. We've obviously had a hard time competing at the the level of uh, other great countries. No, sure. So I I want to thank you so much. Uh, This has been my guest, Jamie Fahill. He is the author of Futsal, the indoor game that is revolutionizing world soccer. This is episode number 116. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give it a rating or review on iTunes. You can find other episodes by going to the New Books Network, use the search bar, type in Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight, and the other 115 episodes will appear. Finally, I'd like to conclude every episode with an appropriate epigram. In this case, kind of the obvious choice when I searched online was one from Cristiano Ronaldo, who said, I play soccer, but futsal will always be what I enjoy most. How's that for an endorsement? Until next time, take care and be well. Thank you.